This is your host, Justin. This is Impersonation Level 2. Picking up where we left off, the players had just taken over the console area near the loading dock that the Raj had basically attached to. This is after whatever kind of scuffle happened outside between the Raj and the Nomad ship. And Rasul and his Yuan Yuan went to the left, our players went to the right, ran into a couple of Agolasiles with a heavy machine gun, and a couple other small arms, had a little bit of a knife fight, that kind of thing, and were able to, for the most part, just establish a beachhead. Once they were able to get that established, they locked down the computer systems, Matthew put up firewalls, and then Razul came back with one less Yuan Yuan than he left with, and they started unloading the Raj and setting up a base camp. The base camp is pretty much just a perimeter camp and staging area, so they put up some remote turrets and cover, barricades, that kind of thing, to kind of hold out in case the nomads or somebody else does some kind of counterattack once they're there. Now, nothing happened, and it took them about 24 hours to get this all set up, so they were pretty pressed for time when they were done because they were all kind of tired none of them had slept yet they looked around a little bit they found a lot of the crates were mostly together because they have mag locks and that kind of thing some of the locks had broken a lot of the crates and had been knocked around there is a large variety of different things in the crates everything from spoiled foodstuffs to um, protein bars and ship parts and a bunch of random stuff so Rasul and his men are starting to go through the crates and the characters decided to go a little bit deeper into La Forja. Basically what happened was they talked to Yasmin and Rasul for a little bit and Yasmin said it's going to take them a while to pretty much get their bearings and hopefully get a map of the area as well as go through some of the crates and load up stuff that's worth value. So Rasul is taking care of that with Yasmin and Yasmin just basically gave the players free reigns to go do whatever they want for a couple hours. Now, this is just so that they could kind of get used to the setting and the area. As a GM, I want them to kind of understand where they're going to be spending most of their time. So it gives them a little bit of a exploration mission where what I had planned was that I had one encounter plan for whichever hallway they went down so when they leave the main hangar area they can go left or right if they go left they run into a morat survivor if they go right they run into a hawk islam survivor so they ended up choosing to go left they started by going through the hallways of finding doors here and there they find mostly what you would find in a shipyard like this which is crew quarters little um rooms for rent little bars that kind of stuff because they're all near the actual shipping and loading area so it's for all the guys that can't go on shore leave basically they they kind of run into all of that stuff around here as they're going down the hallway though they run into a morat vanguard that has a boarding shotgun and he's half in a room half in the hallway and when he they first see him he you know raises his gun and he yells something at them but he doesn't fire or anything he just has his gun pointed at him and it was at that time that Kowloon literally just says 
that was the Morat's mistake for not firing first, and so then Kowloon just opens fire. Now, they have a little bit of a gunfight. Uh, it doesn't last more than, I think, one or two exchanges of fire, and then the Morat dies. This was going to be one of their first possible social contacts. So, as I've stated in the last episode, I have a few social trees that are made up because we're going to start doing side wars and using the wilderness of mirrors and social aspects of all these survivors and scavengers and everything else that are on this this mobile shipyard and that was going to be one of the first chances they had at interacting with the social structure the other would have been had they gone the other way down the hallway it would have been the hawk islam member and so that would have been their first chance but because they murdered the morat then they didn't have access to that social structure yet so that was fine i pretty much expected them to shoot first ask questions later that is the the general consensus of the group so i just kind of put it to the side it wasn't a major loss or anything like that it's you know you can expect your players to do that probably 99 percent of the time but i always like to at least give them the option of you have a chance to do something other than shoot first type of thing. They go down the hallway after they loot the Morat. They check a few more doors and they get to a large service elevator. Now, when they get on the service elevator, I gave them a choice of five different locations. And most of the locations, I was a little worried that they would pick because I had one encounter for each location. And some of the locations, like the armory level that would have had a lot of resistance and it probably would have dragged out for a while but then there was other places they could have gone to like the bridge or the the entertainment deck like all those kind of things the more areas of the shipyard itself the only thing that's a little bit hard when you're dealing with something the size of the forge mobile shipyard and dealing with things like you know large complexes or planets things like that where you're in the future and you can kind of travel wherever you want at a moment's notice type of thing is that you kind of have to have things planned unless you're leading your characters down a specific path so it took me quite a bit of work to come up with the five different scenarios and i was hoping that there was a couple of them that they didn't pick I got a little lucky they picked one that was a little bit easier to run because the first thing they wanted to do was loot things, so they went to the entertainment area. And that made it a little bit easier for me because the encounters there, I was a little worried that they were going to take a while, but it turned out it didn't, so everything kind of worked out. So as I said, they, they picked the entertainment deck, and their thought process behind it was there's probably going to be leftover jewelry, there's probably going to be leftover vehicles or other things that they can steal and take, you know, just more normal commodities that would be worth money on the black market or even just to sell legitimately somewhere else. So they get in the elevator, they all check their weapons, everything else. They can tell that the shipyard is having power issues. The elevator lift slows down a couple of times, goes into battery backup power. When they eventually get to the entertainment deck, they can see that half of the buildings, the lights are out. There's a lot of narrow corridors. There's a few open spaces from where they can see down some of the corridors that open up into uh, kind of like entertainment sections. And 
they kind of scout the area. They can see a little bit of movement from people in, in windows and alleyways and doorways, that kind of thing. So they just get their weapons at the ready, and they start walking and looking for a directory or guide to find out where they can possibly get the most loot. And as they're doing that, they can hear gunshots off and on in the background, nothing too close. It puts them a little on edge, but not too bad. Once they find the directory, they find out, okay, well, if we go to the center area, there's a whole bunch of things like a whorehouse and a car, sh- car dealership and all of that kind of stuff. You know, a few jewelry shops and everything in this main main plaza area that's that's down a ways. So they decide that's where they're going to head. As they reach the main plaza, I have them make a couple of checks because I, I did actually have a... Um, kind of a side thing planned here. Had they talked to the Morat, they would have run into a Speculo Killer. And the Speculo Killer was not spotted by any of them. But if they had made uh, progress on the social tree with the Morat, and the Morat lived, then this would have been their chance to make an actual contact with the Combine forces that are still on the Forja. But since they weren't interested in that, I thought about having the Speculo Killer attack them, but I really didn't see the point of it. It might have killed one, maybe. Um, I'm really hesitant to jump into little combats like that because Speculo Killers should be something really scary and something um, that's very, you know, rare. It should be like an assassin that the, the party should be scared of them. Uh, for the most part in this game, the party's not scared of shit. There, there's nothing they've run into that hasn't done anything other than maybe cause a few wounds that they've been able to medic back up, or you know, a killer hacker that they're able to just completely breach and destroy in a heartbeat. So I just decided, you know what, it's probably not even worth it. So I didn't run that encounter just because it just. I, I thought it would just have been a waste of time, you know. They, they would have ended up with some monofilament weapons, which hasn't seemed to matter at all yet, but I just didn't feel like running it at that time. So they miss the Speculo Killer, but then they hit the second event, which is a cat girl. Um, so if anybody knows about Infinity, there is the Bakunian, I believe it's pronounced, which is a faction of the Nomads, who are all about genetic modification and changes and all of that kind of stuff and cat girls and dog girls and you know panda guys and all that kind of stuff is very common because of all of the genetic modifications that go on and there's even some of those cat girls in the outrage comic if you've read that plus they have some models for them i believe the doctores is a uh, cat girl so it's not it's not overly uh, rare for that kind of thing. I just thought it was kind of funny because, you know, most of us in the group are anime fans, that kind of thing. So this cat girl kind of s- doesn't really sneak up on them. They all assume the the perception rolls they were making were to see her, and that wasn't the case. It was to detect the speculo killer from the event. And because of that, they immediately have massive distrust of the cat girl character out of character she goes to them and tells them that she's in trouble uh she's obviously emaciated she hasn't eaten in a while probably hasn't had something to drink for about a day 
she clearly looks like she's been beaten up quite a bit and she explains to the group that the pleasure house that she worked at was taken over about a month ago by a wolver named Big Al and his group of cronies basically so this is your generic kind of call to action for the PCs it's simple it's clear they do have the option to just ignore it and move on with their day in this case Kowloon decides that he wants to go and help her out so the others start heading towards the pleasure house and she hides behind him as they get there a large wolver with an ap rifle comes out of the main doorway and just starts firing on him he doesn't give any uh actually does he say i think he said something uh i i don't remember what line i use i'm sure it was some cheesy movie style line and then he just opened up fire on him now the AP rifle didn't really do much damage. It did hit, I think I did one or two points of damage. Again, that's all because of rolls. The damage isn't consistent for weapons, so it's a little whatever. However, when the PC shot back, they wounded the Wolver, and he goes into a blood rage. That's one of their main abilities. And the blood rage did massive amounts of damage in a very short time now granted that was because i rolled high but basically what happens is he gets a double move and an attack so it's kind of like a charge so he went from medium range band to close range band and or was it long i don't remember off the top of my head but he basically moved two range bands made an attack did a ton of damage to i believe it was kowloon in just one shot i i rolled like nine damage or something ridiculous like that and then they had a little bit of a fight i believe it was dimitri that was able to bring him down but uh the the fight was semi unremarkable i mean it was what you would expect now one of the things i did have for this fight was i decided that if it had gone on for more than three rounds that the three guys inside would have time to grab their gear, get all their equipment ready, and run outside to back up Big Al. Because they ended up killing Big Al in two rounds, they rush right into the pleasure house right after that, and the guys are still trying to get ready, and they just open up. Um, Cal Washi uses his boarding shotgun, puts it on spray, and just levels the room. Now, the cat girls and the other, um, you know, pleasure house people or whores or whatever you want to call them that were in there, or prostitutes is probably a better word, uh, they, they all duck for cover, and he doesn't hit any of them, luckily. He kills, I believe, two of the guys straight out. The third one was a little damaged, and then Kowloon follows up by just walking up to him, pinning him down with his foot, and shooting him in the head. Now, they save the prostitutes inside the pleasure house and tell them that, hey, no problem, we'll help you guys out. Kowloon learns that the name of the one that came in to ask them for help was named Maymay. Uh, it's kind of an inside joke. If you know what memes are, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a little bit of an inside joke on the pronunciation of that. But uh, Maymay says, you know, oh, thank you so much for helping us, so... They, the PCs basically promise them food and shelter and protection kind of thing back at the ship 
and for the most part kind of have assistants slash slaves i guess i mean they're willing so they're not really slaves but you know my, my pcs are of the utmost moral standing and uh they save the girls they loot the corpses they get an ap rifle they get a few other uh, i believe it was a couple of other rifles and stuff like that and they also grab the ballistics vest off of the the wolver because he's got a large size uh, ballistics vest it's a little bit too big for them but they take it anyways because you know loot after that they go to the rest of the area of the main hub and the little plaza area and they start looting stores now i had a little bit of a chart made up for this and my chart wasn't anything complex it was really simple and really basic and all it was is on their perception checks if they roll this or higher or they score this or higher they get x amount of stuff and i didn't make it super complicated i made it really simple so basically if they rolled a one through a five they only got a few minor trinkets that kind of stuff if they rolled over a 10 they got a good amount of loot if they rolled over a 15 they got a large amount of loot i didn't bother with if they got crits or if they rolled the max amount or anything like that so they just had to make their perception check and then what their target number was depended on how much they got and how many successes they got and then you roll a d20 and then the number is you know whatever they got uh and then multiply that by the number of successes so if they got a five which is next to nothing but then they got two successes then that would increase it to average amount of loot if they got average amount of loot and they got two successes, then they would move up to the third tier, which was a lot of loot. You know, just a rough monetary value for the stuff, like a car or a motorcycle or a handful of jewelry, that kind of thing. And that was what I had planned. That's what I had them roll originally. But then they all decided that they wanted transportation more than anything. So they just really wanted to loot a auto dealership. I went ahead and just let them do it. I didn't see any point in making them roll a whole bunch of stuff. I just said, okay, you know what? You guys can find one one automobile each. And to kind of compensate for that, I only gave them one roll for additional loot afterwards, but they all got something. You know, um, I believe Kowloon, Kalwashi, and... I'm not sure if Dimitri got a motorcycle as well, but I knew Kowloon and Kalwashi did. And then Matthew took like an SUV and I believe Dimitri took a motorcycle as well, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. It was all in all, it's kind of trivial. It's not something they're going to get to use that often in this particular setting. Maybe if we go on to a season three, then it might come into effect and might matter a lot more than now. But that's just something they really wanted. It really doesn't have an effect on this season. So I just went ahead and gave it to them. Now, because of that, instead of having them make the the big roll where they decide how much loot they got, I just went with the standard. If they got one success, they got the smallest amount. If they got two successes, they got a medium amount of loot. And that's just because they already had the automobiles. I didn't want them to have a chance to get the tons of cash option every single one of them made their rolls i believe only kowloon and maybe kalwashi got the average amount of loot 
And because of the way credits and stuff work in this system, passing out loot is both easier and more complicated, I guess. I mean, it's not really complicated. I, I'm not sure what the correct word would be, but basically you give them so much loot that it increases their spending power. And I didn't want to increase their spending power past three. So if they got an average amount of loot, their spending power went up by two, which is still a lot. But it also gives them a lot more access to stuff that they normally wouldn't be able to afford. So I tried to keep it a little bit lower. It makes it easy to kind of pass stuff out like that. You say, okay, we'll increase your, you know, your wealth by one or whatever. So I don't think it was really that big of a deal. But I, I don't want it to go completely over the top type of thing. So far, the only thing that seems to really matter is the dice rolls in combat. Everything else, as far as purchasing, I was a little worried about it when they geared up before they came here because I didn't want them to have, you know, seven remotes and all of that kind of thing. Uh, I also, speaking of remotes, I did give them one additional roll to find something kind of special if they foregoed the just getting general loot. Uh, one of them that didn't do just general loot was Kalawashi. He decided that he wanted to find some kind of tech stuff and uh, loot that. Now, for the tech stuff, I already had something written up. I Like my other list, I didn't go over the top with it. I just did a straightforward... Okay, here's a standard chart. There's already charts in the book. So if he rolls blank, roll on this chart. So he makes his perception checks in this uh, guy, Geist tech shop. And he succeeds. So I have him go ahead and roll. And the roll that I had him make was whether he found a program or hardware. So it's either software or hardware. He makes the roll. He finds hardware. He rolls again on the chart in the book, which is just for like upgrades and stuff. And he basically found a remote. So it's an empty remote. It doesn't have anything in it. There's no programs for it or anything like that. It's a little banged up because, you know, it is on a destroyed shipyard. It's a little banged up, but not too bad. So he'll have to do some repairs on it. But he will have the opportunity to upload his geist into the remote. And it basically makes it like a. Uh, Tinbot or a G servant if you have played Infinity, the actual tabletop game. So now he's going to have a G servant or a um, Tinbot for his Geist. Whereas before he didn't have anything like that. The Geist was still part of its normal AI thing, that kind of thing. So Kalwashi does that. The guys get all their loot, they load them all up, they get back to the big freight elevator. On their way down, Yasmin calls them and says, Hey, I need you guys to come back. We're going to start looting this place. And I've got a few areas that are going to need some firepower. That's where I'm going to be sending you guys. So come on back. We'll get rested up. And we'll decide who's going where. Uh, as soon as they got back, the little base camp they had established had further barricades and a little bit nicer sleeping arrangements, that kind of thing. They had actually blocked off the entrance to the Raj so that somebody couldn't just sneak onto it. And they don't leave the airlock wide open with nobody watching everything like that. So when they got back, they saw Rasul and his Yuan Yuans and a few other people and 
they decided to gift the ballistics vest to Rasul that was on the Wolver because he's about the size of the Wolver. You know, he's a very large, older, muscular man with a big belly. He puts on the ballistics vest and it fits, but, you know, you can see his undergut, you know, that kind of thing hanging over the, the belt loop and stuff. And the players go to start taking all their stuff out to load them into box, secure boxes to put onto the Raj. And they just hear a loud gunshot. And they all spin around, like weapons at the ready. And Razul is cheering and laughing. And he had one of his Yuan shoot him in the chest with a pistol to make sure that the ballistics vest was still good and that it worked. The players got a little bit of a kick out of that. It falls in character with the NPC in general. So I, I just thought it was a fun little thing to add. Now, because of their out-of-character fear of the uh, slave girls or whatever they are now, the players all decided that they're going to basically just lock them into the room in the Raj like dogs in a kennel. You know, they give them some water and food, and they leave a little water dish out, and they're like, okay, we'll be back later, don't make a mess. You know, that kind of thing. So I'll probably come up with something for that. I have a few ideas that I'm kind of kicking around, but it is a really inhumane way to treat anybody in general. So again, as I said before, you know, all of my, my player characters are upstanding moral people that definitely don't need any type of guidance or adjustment to their moral values. The next episode that we're going to be doing is going to introduce two more social trees to the mix i believe that they will probably try to talk to somebody from the nomad faction i'm not 100 percent sure like i said they tend to shoot first and never ask questions so they may talk to the nomads which will unlock that there is going to be some hawk islam so they may unlock that and then depending on how things go they may actually run into a small cell of pan oceana and that's pretty much all i have planned for the next one the i don't want to go into too much detail as to what they're going to be running into but they're basically going to be kind of increasing their presence on the the mobile shipyard and there's some things I have in the background with the Submundo factions that are still on the shipyard. And because they didn't actually make contact with the Combine forces that are still on the shipyard, I don't have to worry about that social tree right now. This next section, that would have mattered a little bit, and it would have unlocked a chance for them to get access to some really high-level equipment from the EI. It was actually how I was going to introduce their first tag, I was going to have a reprogrammed gecko that the Shavasi had basically captured and the EI had reprogrammed and was going to gift to them as a kind of peace offering to help them secure a ship to get off of the shipyard. But because they decided not to talk to the Morat, decided not to have that, that conversation, I have just kind of put that away. I, I don't know if that'll ever come up but it might. So I still have the, the papers for it and everything else, but I don't think it's going to matter. The only ones that should matter are going to be the Nomad faction, the Hawk Islam faction, and maybe Pan Oceana right now. The next section I'm going to have is going to have a lot to do with the Submundo groups, and since they killed Big Al, that's going to have some consequences for that, which may be positive or it may be negative, depending on how the players actually decide to play all of this out 
that's all I have for now. I hope you've been enjoying the series and our little trek through the Infinity Universe. If you have, please drop me a line on the Impersonation Level 2 Facebook group. I try to check that at least once a day when I have time. I try to reply to anybody that has anything to say on there. I'm always open to new ideas and new ways of playing things or ideas you think might be fun for the campaign, that kind of thing. I'm always open to that. I, I love to hear from other people and I can see that quite a few people actually download the podcast and listen to it. I'm very grateful to that. Um, like I said, I just hope everyone has been enjoying this and been having a good time listening to our quote-unquote heroes go through all of this. So until next time, remember to have fun.